0: Welcome back to Coffee with the Johns, Season 3, Episode 7. We got a lot to cover. I mean, there's so much. We haven't been on for quite a while, so there's a lot to go over. Uh, There's a lot of fear in the market, especially with a lot of investors that we know. We're a part of a few masterminds, and we've been speaking to very successful investors, new investors, and there's a lot of fear across the board with with everybody and um, we're gonna cover that fear, we're gonna cover the recent rise in interest rates, you know, everything that's going on in the market. So uh, strategies, We're, we're gonna finish off with some strategies, things that have been working for us and how we're preparing for what's coming. I mean, we do feel that, you know, there is something coming down the line and it could potentially be bad if you're not ready.
1: So, make sure well, you. Well, it depends. S- it could be bad, could be good. I mean, that, that conversation we were at that mastermind panel we were on yesterday, where there, uh, Bridget was, uh, saying, like, I was talking with a big investor yesterday. And it was very interesting where he said, like, yeah, these last couple of years, the investment environment has sucked, but it's actually getting much better now. So,
0: but that's what I'm saying. If you are prepared, it could be good. If you're not, it could really hurt you. So, it's definitely something that, um, you know, we're looking forward to and we're, we're trying to, ourselves understand you know because uh we haven't been here doing this long enough to to know what a turn in the market looks like we've studied it a lot um but we don't know so please comment add your questions any concerns any input that you guys have everything is welcomed um we like um we like you guys participating. So, with that being said, I am your host, John Barbarin. With me, as always, is co-host extraordinaire, Mr. John Bar.
1: Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> me.
0: How's uh, how's everything been, man?
1: It's been it's been good. A little stressful these last couple of months of just trying to get a few things closed out, get a few projects finished, get them on the market, some things like that should have sold, would have sold six months ago, aren't selling anymore. It's like ah, damn. So trying to adjust to that market and just like what can you do to try to incentivize and push those sales uh and to get them sold like what do you need to do do you need to drop the price do you need to do incentives like what is it that you exactly need to do to get those get those things sold
0: yeah so and, and been, what are you seeing are you seeing that especially when you when you're listing properties and you're seeing comparables and stuff are you seeing more incentives being given out to either no. buyers or agents? Or anything? Uh,
1: no, I'm not yet. And that's one thing that we had a discussion yesterday, and I called an agent that's doing some stuff for us. And I was like, hey, I want to offer incentives. But the way buyers find properties is much different than it was 10, 20 years ago when we had a last big recession and stuff when you needed to incentivize ability to get houses sold. So this is the first time you've had to offer these things in – I mean, what, 12 years, 14 years? So uh, it's a big shift where we're talking about, okay, how do we get the incentives out there? How do we get this stuff done to, besides just doing price drops, how else can we incentivize buyers to come look at our properties to buy them? So uh, I'm not seeing it, and you should I think you should be seeing it, and we're going to be offering those things on the properties we're listing now. It's like, hey, buyer incentives, whatever that incentive may be, where it's either concessions, it's appliance packages, it's free upgrades, it's buy-down points for rates, because that's a huge problem right now is those payments. So yeah, I definitely, uh, agree that I think should, people should be offering in some form of incentives to get people to do it. Cause that, that is the problem now that we were talking with, uh, uh, Dan Francis, the CEO of stepstone yesterday. He says he asked that question and he just basically asked like, Hey, in 2009, 10, 11, oh, we were seeing buyer, ins, uh, buyer agent incentives saying, hey, we're going to offer instead of 3%, 3.5% or bonus of a thousand fifteen hundred, 1500 And I just kind of pushed back. Yeah, but in 2008, it wasn't the pro-, like, it, it was a different problem. It's like nobody wanted to buy houses back then. And there was not very many agents. Right now, we have the opposite problem. People want to buy houses but prices are just way too high. Mortgages are way too high. They're too expensive. And we have a ton of buyer agents out there. So the problem is now the payment not the agent and finding buyers to incentivize to buy houses. So people want to buy them. They just can't afford them. So how do you do that? You can do buyer incentives as far as like, hey, we'll offer you $3,000 to buy down your rate from a 7% to a 6% or whatever you need to do to make that payment more affordable for them and pre- basically prepaying their interest or doing uh, – we had another one of the agents yesterday talk about a two-two one buy down. I wasn't exactly mm-hmm. sure – what he exactly meant by that, but he said he is offering those two one buy downs, and it is exactly that. Oh, it's pretty, like buying down the interest it, rate. It
0: was like it, it bought down the interest rate a percentage or so on the first year, and it bought it, it bought it down another percentage the second year. Yeah, something like so that. It, it was, was, was like, interesting. Yeah,
1: it was like a two one. The, the way it sounded like it bought it down two percent the first year, one percent the second year, and he said it was costing about ten thousand dollars. He's like, but it gets the property sold. Yeah. So that's one thing you have to do or another uh, agent when a- asking us yesterday I was like are you guys still buying flips like I I definitely would as it but I'm com- underwriting them completely different yeah. to where instead of 6 months ago or last year I was like hey this is the ARV 75% minus repairs, I'm buying at that because I thought that the price was going to increase, but even if it didn't, I was still good at those numbers. But now it's but like, There's a lot ooh, of
0: demand in the market.
1: A lot of demand. Now I'm looking at a property. What's the value today? Minus $10,000, 70% off of that, minus repairs, and I'm even trying to get another like $10,000 off of that to give me an, enough room to where if I wanted to sell it, wholesale it, do something like that, we can't. We have yeah. those options versus uh, we're the only ones that are going to buy at this price. Now we have to flip it and take that risk, but we build in enough margin there. But the problem is sellers don't like those offers because they are considerably lower than what they think the value of their house is. But it's like, I'm not buying the value of your house today. I'm buying the value of your house in three, four months and I'm done.
0: So that, that brings up a very excellent point because here's what I'm seeing with the market. And this is the part that sucks for a lot of investors, right? Especially a lot of new investors that they are sort of living paycheck to paycheck, whether they're wholesaling, flipping, right? They're they're just, they need that next deal. And what I'm seeing is that when things like this happen in the market, there's what, what Logan, our coach, he calls a, the slack in the line, right? Like when you're fly fishing. And we explained this on the last uh, Coffee with the Johns. Um, and so there's that slack right now where we have a massive disconnect. We have buyers that are being extra conservative, like you are, like when you're describing how you're analyzing these deals and the margins you're building in, that's, you know, you're being really conservative. You need a hell of a deal. And then you will have sellers who haven't even realized that that's where things are going. They still want to get what they were getting six, nine months ago. So there's a massive disconnect right there because right now the buyers are out there. The investors are out there. They want steep discounts. So you can't get those steep discounts when the sellers are not coming to terms with, hey, the market has shifted. So this is why, you know, one of the biggest things that you can be doing right now is improving your follow-up game, right? When you are speaking to sellers and everything, you submit an offer, it might be low, you might piss them off and everything, but follow up in a month, follow up in, a, in two months, because these people, they're gonna see that they're not gonna be getting, even though they're getting wholesalers, submitting these offers, And submitting the offers that they want, they're not closing on them. You know, and I've recently spoken to a few investors that are all over the country, and specifically a few in St. Louis, and they're telling me how, you know, they started rehabbing a house, and all of a sudden they're running comps, and the comps are showing a $20,000 decline on what the ARV is. You know, depending on how you're rehabbing houses and the work that you're doing, like a twenty thousand dollar drop could really wipe out. Well, I mean, a you look at 200,000,
1: Think about it on a percentage margin, where like they say your average business makes ten to fifteen percent profit. So if you're selling a house for twenty five, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, ten percent of that's twenty five grand. Yep. So you're look, you're talking thirty two five, and if you have for fifteen percent, you have to drop twenty thousand dollars off that to get that thing sold, like. Five thousand dollar margin or now twenty-two and a half thousand like yeah, you're or seventeen five, like you have very small margins now for profit. And I mean if you're running any form of like sizable business or have overhead and stuff like that, like you can't survive off seventeen thousand dollar flips unless you're doing like a ton of them and you're really streamlined with this. And we we know firsthand experience, <laughs> flipping houses is not a very streamlined or streamlinable business in the sense that there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of moving parts, a lot of issues constantly um, with those properties. So, yeah. so
0: you are pulling the data right now for uh, you are getting ready to record the market update, which will probably be releasing uh, early next week. Um, what are you seeing as far as months of inventory? Like, how are you seeing the San Antonio market?
1: I mean, it, it's rising for sure, uh, but I mean, it's it's still. It's interesting because we've had these conversations. Like, you look at the inventory levels, and they're still not bad. Like, they—if you just looked at the peer data—you would look at it like, okay, that's not bad. It, the inventory is rising, but it's not just like shooting up month over month, like it, or by huge amounts. Like now, Austin, different story. That that city's inventory just skyrocketed very quickly, but ours is kind of gradual. It went from like. to 2.1 to 2.8 to 3.3, but those are sizable increase, but not as bad as like Austin. And I think last month we were at a 3.3 and that's still a seller's market, not a buyer's market. But the difference is you go back to 2019. We're basically neck and neck in the inventory. We're at 2019, but the buyer sentiment is much Mm. different than it was back then because you speak with agents and this says, yeah man trying to get buyers to go into houses trying to get people to buy houses it's much more difficult uh to do and they are picking things apart like they walk in they see something's out they kind of look at their agent and go, how many more properties we got to look at today yeah because they know they have options and they're not competing offers anymore so you yeah you you do have to it is much different market so inventory is rising buyer sentiment is falling mm-hmm. so with these rising interest rates i mean it it it's and i was we were talking about this yesterday i mean you want to talk about a whiplash we started the year in what the threes then it shot up to sixes then it dropped back down into the fives touched four for a second now we're up at seven and a half and where it's like dude you're just seeing like could you imagine being a buyer and say hey you're qualified and those are big swings in payments so you're qualified for 300. Oh, you're now you're qualified for 500. Oh, now you're back down to 250. Oh, now you're back up to 375. Like, just swinging all over the place. We're like, I can't freaking do this anymore.
0: Well, and, and that, that this is the crazy part, right? So right now we have the Fed that raised uh, another three-quarter points, um, the interest rates. So I'm looking right now, 30-year mortgage. If you have a 700 to 720 credit score, is 7.75%.
1: 775?
0: Yeah. If Ooh. you have above a 700 credit score, which Ooh. most Americans, they don't. So you're having most Americans, let's say they're between, they're in like the 650s, that's an 8.4% interest rate. Yeah, <sighs> let that sink in. 8.4%. That's insane. So when you're looking at, you know, interest rates, you're looking at people, what's going on with affordability is, uh, we were doing the math before. It's like a forty percent drop in buying power for most buyers. I mean, the every
1: one percent f- drops twelve percent. Buying oh, your, power. Uh, your interest payment goes. Your mortgage payment goes up twelve percent. For every one percent. Every one percent. So you think about insane. that. Three percent wow. to eight percent. That's sixty percent higher mortgage payment.
0: Yeah.
1: That insane. doesn't. Now that I don't know what that equates to, like dropping in power. And I yeah. don't think it's a straight sixty percent drop. No, no. Your payment's up sixty percent. So it's like. Holy shit. Well, but I
0: was, I was running these numbers on like what houses selling for and everything. And it's, a, a, it's about a 40% buying power drop. So, the, but here's the biggest problem, right? That you have a 40% drop in buying power, but houses haven't dropped. So now you're talking about, you're buying a completely different quality of home at that price. Yeah. So it's insane. So, and, and what this leads to is what we've talked about for a long time. Is This is going to become a renter nation because you're looking at rents right now compared to where mortgages are, and you can rent that house for cheaper than you can buy that house. Because I run rents in all the neighborhoods that we're looking at properties, and I'm looking at the rents, and I'm running the numbers for what a potential mortgage would be on these houses, and I was like, yeah, you're better off
1: renting this house than owning it. Oh, yeah. We just sold one. uh closed on it last month or the month before. And their payment was going to be, like, 2400 a month. And I was like, God. And the rents are, for, like, $1,600. I was like, for this house, <laughs> 2400 Like, you can get yourself a bomb apartment in this city for $2,000. Yeah. Like, 2400 dude. You're, you're damn near a penthouse with, like, a 3 yeah. bedroom, or two-bath suite at 2400 a month. Like, you want to own a house this bad? And, dude, it wasn't a nice, like a fantastic house. Like it was a nineteen sixty-seven house that we now we remodeled it, but it didn't have brand new electrical. No. It didn't have brand new everything. It had like a new roof, new AC, new kitchen and stuff, but like it wasn't immaculate home.
0: No, no, no it wasn't on an excellent side of town. No, you, south side. you know I mean, yeah, so it, was, it wasn't it's not like it was in the ghetto, but it wasn't you what we're going at is that same problem. It's like now those buyers that we're looking at those nice neighborhoods, those nice areas they're having to switch completely where they're going to be buying their homes. That means different school districts. That means a whole bunch of different things. So when they look at that and they, if they have kids, they're going to be like, screw it. I'm just going to rent because I can't go. I'm not going to send my kids to that school district. I want them here. Right. And that's what we want to do. And it's like, so you have high interest rates, high home prices, high gas prices, high groceries, I mean oh,
1: dude, groceries, it shocked the hell out of me. Like I was talking with Molly the other night the other day and I was like, You guys, we spent almost four hundred dollars at the grocery store last week. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. I mean, now I'll we had to buy some like bigger items like laundry detergent and <laughs> like dishwasher stuff, but it's yeah. like that's what drove the bill up. But it was like that's fucking nuts yeah. i was like holy shit like i don't feel like we're our pantries are blowing up. like we got food now but it's also i don't feel like it's like overstocked no. we could ready for a christmas party yeah like it's not like we had anything like that it was just like my god four hundred dollars in groceries like son of a bitch yeah like, I, I mean i like little finer things as far as like i don't get like the bottom not, shelf not, stuff not but like that, i'm not no. buying caviar wrapped <laughs> in gold leaf either It was like holy shit yeah like, that, that is nuts
0: so, I mean, so I, I did have an article I wanted to cover real quick. So it, it's about the, it's a Housing Wire article. So it's about the Fed uh, doing this interest rate hike. And they, and this is coming, like, I wanted to get actual statements from uh, the Fed and them. So it says, inflation remains elevated, reflecting supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic, higher food and energy prices, and broader price measures. Um, Russia war against Ukraine and related events are creating additional upward pressure on inflation and are weighing on global economic activity. So that's another thing is that not only you let's keep adding to all this, right? Like the, we just got out of a, a, a pandemic, um, massive printing of money, people not paying their mortgages. Uh, I heard recently that I didn't even know this was happening, but they were doing car loans where you didn't have to make your first payment for like a year or 18 months out, I didn't know that was a thing, you know? So it was, it was a program that they were running that if you were in forbearance and you showed that you were in forbearance and you needed a car, they would give you a car loan, but you didn't have to make a payment for like 12 to 18 months. So now you're having all these people having to make a payment that's close to a damn near a thousand dollars. Dude, I
1: saw something rolling through on Instagram or social media or something like that, and it was it was Dave Ramsey. It was oh. a clip from him, and there was clips of people like telling him what their car payments were, and it was like younger millennial, whatever's behind us, Gen Z or something like that, and like. Yeah, my uh I have a okay, I have this fancy car whatever whatever's a 2021 Toyota whatever it may be. And my uh payment is 1067 a month on that one. And my wife's car is a 2020 something or other and her payment's $1300. And it switched back to Dave Ramsey. He's like "$1300? $1300 for a car payment? Oh my god." that's a freaking house payment dude and now uh, you got another thousand don't twenty three hundred dollars on car payment you just shot yourself in the foot i mean you might as well just take a nail gun and slap yourself in the foot right there and just stay there socioeconomically the next like 10 years like my god people are dumb holy crap. And, but it was just yeah like, and you're not even shit. talking about like
0: they bought a porsche or some shit no it was like it, i
1: mean they were nicer it was like an infinity or an out yeah. it wasn't yeah you're not talking luxury but you're upper line but it's just like you're 22 years old you got a freaking thirteen hundred dollars car paint for the next freaking six years It's like my god people
0: yeah no it's it's been insane and you so when you add all these factors together what's the point of all this right um it's not to scare you guys like if you guys are listening to this then you're more educated you're trying to get more educated um and it's not to scare you it's just to help you understand where people are and hopefully for you to avoid those situations right like for you to avoid getting into too much debt getting into things that you can't afford. I mean, what's possibly coming down the line? It is pretty much. It could be pretty bad, you know, because for a lot of people, uh, they're already talking about massive layoffs in a lot of companies. Here in San Antonio, I don't know if you saw this, but you have we have uh, Rackspace, which is a massive company. Mm-hmm. They own a building on uh, on the northeast side of San Antonio of 1.2 million square feet. They're about to move to a new building that's ranging between 70 and 90,000 square feet because they've downsized the amount of employees they have because they're getting more remote workers, more work from home workers, all that. So they're going from 1.1 million square feet down to about 90,000 square feet building. Like when you
1: take that, you know, you run those numbers. When I saw that and I was just kind of like, but. Rackspace was a cloud computing company when they f- were founded. So like I'm wondering how much of that 1.1 million was just data storage. So like what was the office size and yeah. down so they're saying like 200,000 square feet down to 90. But they specifically said it's because of their downsize
0: of employees. They yeah. they sp- specifically said in the article that it was because they have so many remote workers and they've outsourced so much of that work. So it's they're downsizing and we're seeing it across the board. I saw a even um your your favorite company what is it Open Door um they they're downsizing like eighteen percent Elon Musk that just went into Twitter and he's freaking seventy five hundred I was reading on that this morning
1: uh, he's laying off like seventy five hundred employees and he got sued because there's some federal law that says that you have to give people sixty days or something like that for mass sales. I believe that yeah uh, but I I don't know it, it's gonna be that'll be interesting but yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I was seeing like commercial real estate they said they don't feel like they have We've seen the bottom of the commercial real estate yet because of the way those things, those leases and stuff are turned out. But they're saying that studies have been done and companies only need 80% of the space they used to. That's, so that's a 20% drop. And when you look at the square footage drops and like price drop and everything like that, when you take that in, it's like, I mean, commercial values just dropped 20%. And those loans that those things got originated on however many years, decades ago we're based on full occupancies and those rates. So, this big pandemic shift, like they don't feel like that's rolled into the commercial real estate yet. So, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how that plays out in the coming years. Cause there's, and uh, they're talking about like what's the opportunity that could be there. Yeah. Cause there's no such thing as like a quote unquote bad product. It's just a bad price when it comes to real estate. So, it's like you just paid too much. If you would have taken another hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars off that commercial value or loan. And repurchase price, and then it would have been a good deal. Yeah. But when you buy at ultra ultra leverage, high as you can get, just to try to eke out that return, or if you're a big syndicator, make your fees and not really care about the long term projections of your project, like geared, that's that's not gonna be uh, it's not gonna be good.
0: Well, and another article I was reading was they were talking about that you have this past year there was about forty percent of commercial leases didn't pay their 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 lease. 40 percent, 40 percent. I was shocked at that number. And but then at the same time, I wasn't because then when you're looking at where everything is and they keep talking about low unemployment and all this. But we keep hearing and seeing so many people laying off people. They're not even just laying off, but they stopped hiring. Right. So they're not hiring as much as they were before. Everybody's very scared and concerned about what's coming down the line. So massive companies, Facebook, you know, Apple, all of them. They've completely, drastically cut down on their hiring, and they're even preparing to do some cutbacks. Well, like Amazon
1: said they, they were doing a corporate-level hiring freeze. Yeah. Just like, ooh, we're just going to hold off for right now and see what happens. So the big, big layoffs haven't happened yet, but there's talks.
0: Yeah, there's, there's talks. Th- and and for, sometimes those are the talks that actually get them to happen.
1: Yeah. You know, when you
0: start talking about all these things and you start preparing for something bad to happen – you kind of cause it to happen in a way, right? Because yeah. everybody is like, let's not spend. Let's not do this. Let's not do that. And all that has a trickle effect. It affects yeah. the next companies but you would have put the money in. That's
1: exactly what needs to happen, though, yeah. to curb inflation. Because, And we were having in our some of our private text ch- uh, chats where somebody asked, like, why are bonds in the stock market moving in the same direction? They're supposed to be inverse of each other. Like, When stocks go down, usually bonds go up. Bonds go down, stocks go up. But it's like, well, that's the problem with inflation. Like the markets move at the same time because inflation kills the shit out of debt, so nobody's right. going to put debt at two percent when inflation's running at eight. So they hold cash, and then nobody's going to do put things into stocks because stocks borrow off of debt and the off of spending power of people and potential growth. So people sell stocks to hold cash. So people start hoarding cash in inflation because there's because you talk about that cash is trash. You're like God, your cash isn't even beating uh, inflation. But you look at it; it's like, geez, if you just put in a high yield savings account, you're getting three and a half percent inflation. Yeah, inflation's eight. So you think about it; like, you're only losing four and a half percent. You look at the stock market; it's down twenty percent. You look at bonds markets, and it's down fifteen percent, eighteen percent. So it's like, cash has almost become the best of the worst evils. Yeah. Right now, so.
0: No, I do believe that right now cash is going to be king. Like, if you can sit on cash and you can liquidate some assets and, and sit on it because the way you're looking at how all these things are going to come down the line we are already started seeing it in the more in the luxury side of real estate where we have a, a a buddy of ours that he was telling us about a property here in san antonio listed for 1.5 mil yeah. this year it was down to 1.2 mil and he was in talks and with the it agent dropped in
1: 999 so to a million to
0: a million but he's in talk with the agent at between six and seven hundred thousand so from 1.5 to like six, 700,000 that they're talking right now. And in
1: a few months. Yeah. And like, then they bought it like three years ago for like 800 or something like yeah. that. You looked it up and you could see the sale history on Zillow. And it was like, oh man, they're taking 200,000. Like, Cause he, like, he's like, it, it hasn't been like serious conversations. Like, but we're talking, it wasn't a hell no. What are you talking about? We're not even doing that. It's like, but we're having conversations last year. If I would have offered that. I wouldn't even got a call back. Yeah. Oh, and, no. It would have been a middle finger and that would have been it. So, and this is the time
0: where like PBD says, um, Patrick, but David, if you guys haven't heard, definitely check him out. Uh, but he does say how he's like, this is a time to make disrespectful offers. And <clears throat> what does he mean by disrespectful offers is that don't be ashamed or shy to submit low offers right now. Because that's where the market is heading. I mean, we've so, got we've
1: gotten them on some of our properties. Yeah. I mean, we listed one uh, one of our rental properties. I listed it for I think like two forty five, and then dropped it to two forty, and somebody came in and offered two hundred five. I was like, get the hell out of here. And it's yeah. like, "What?" and I asked, what was that for? And they're like, Well, because it'd been on the market for a long time. It'd been on the market for three weeks. There was already <laughs> That's somebody, a long time ago. Yeah, there was <laughs> already somebody out there trying to because you're to have to change the baseboard, the money she's gonna have to put into it. I was like, No. And then it, I was like, I'm not taking that. And then uh, and it was exactly that. They were trying to uh, s- uh fish for offers. Yeah. So
0: yeah. So, uh, I mean, we're, we're seeing all these things and it's going to create a lot of opportunities in the market, but you got to be ready for it. So yesterday in our text community, I sent out a message asking people, are you worried about the possible coming collapse of the real estate market? Right. And there's f- quite a few people that were saying, yes, they are worried a little bit. What I found interesting were all the people that said no. <clears throat> and why I find this interesting is because I know We personally know a lot of them, and we know they haven't been in real estate long enough. And to just say no, I don't think it's a a very uh, good idea. Like, you should always be concerned, right? When 2020 happened, we were concerned about what was happening. We were moving forward with our investments, with everything we are doing. We were moving forward cautiously, where a lot of people were, you know, balls to the walls and all excited about it. We were being cautious. Now the market is turning. We're being cautious again. And Ray Dalio says, you know.
1: more cautious.
0: Ray Dalio says, if you don't worry, you should worry. But if you worry, you shouldn't worry. Right? Because it's one of those things, I think. And you can frame it however the hell you want to frame it. Worrying, concerned, whatever. But if you're not, you know, curious about what could happen, you're going to have too many blind spots that you're not going to see because you're overconfident, you know, you're way too overconfident thinking, ah, I got this. Oh, it's not a problem. Oh, there's going to be a hell of, an opportunity. Yeah. But if you don't know what those opportunities are and you're not prepared to seize them, then they're going to pass you right by because you have, you're not being humble enough to look at it. Like, no, I am concerned. You know, I'm concerned with what's coming. I don't know what that's going to look like, you know? So I am getting prepared and that's one of the things that we're doing. We've invested a lot in education We've invested a lot in trainings where one of the biggest things that we've been doing lately is perfecting our sales training. We're perfecting our sales training, yeah. our scripts, our process, our follow-up systems, because we know that there's going to be massive opportunity coming up, but you need to have your well, people was, and
1: yourself ready for them. That's one of the things we always – I've mentioned it on here before, and I've heard I can't – who was it? God, who said that? Oh, it was uh, Rick Edelman, where he's like, there's no such thing as good times. There's bad times and preparing for bad times. Yeah. So these last two years, you don't get booms like that without some repercussions. Yeah. So it's like if you weren't preparing during those good times, these last two years, sorry man, you're about to hit those bad times. So it's like you weren't preparing for the bad times, and now it's in bad times, and now you're in, and now you're in trouble, or, or potentially in trouble, or you're gonna have to pivot because you you already hear people saying that this is like. I just can't make any money. Nobody's accepting my offers. Like I don't have any money. I got to go find a job. And it's like, but of us professional investors, people that have been preparing, it's like, about freaking time! Yeah, because like, dude, these last two years, it's just been absolutely nuts. Like the stuff you're seeing people pull off with these wholesale fees, and they're bringing so many people in the market, selling the the sizzle of real estate and yeah. how much money they can make, flashing the checks in front of Lambos and stuff like that, and bringing all these people in, and they're just driving prices up because they're selling products. Yeah, it, you're
0: like, going to be seeing a lot of Lambos for sale next year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> drastically reduced and he, prices. I'm gonna, sub, I'm gonna sub. I'm gonna sub two my first Lambo. A, there we go. <laughs> We're
0: gonna go to all these wannabe gurus and be like,
1: so you I really sub- take pennies on the dollar on that Lambo? I sub to an S uh, an S10 once. So I mean, why can't I? Yeah, that's ya? right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so I listened to a, a talk recently that our friend of ours Brian Schroeder did. He's. Uh, I'm gonna have him on the podcast soon, and he's he's a, a really smart investor. Um, he doesn't know I'm gonna have him on the podcast soon. So Go is that through. you? Just is that just
1: you? Like projecting into <laughs> yeah, the universe, I'm, I'm that... throwing
0: it out to the universe. I want him on the podcast. Th- this man is beyond successful. I mean, he has multiple businesses in real estate. That had successful grown... exits
1: of three real estate companies. Yeah, like... they've
0: they've held like over 200 properties. Um, doing a ton of business. They're they're just crushing it. They have a realty company, a hard money lending company, everything. Um, And one of the things that he was saying, he says, like, we're in a transitionary period right now. but here's what's worse, is that we're heading into winter. And I'm not talking about the Game of Thrones winter that everybody keeps talking about. Winter's coming. No, like legit winter, where winter in real estate isn't good. You know, it's typically things slow down. You have the holidays. You have a lot of things. So there's a lot
1: of seasonal Cold winter is what exactly. we're talking about. Like, and that's Literally. what I've been worried about. Yeah. Like our inventory's been rising during the hot summer months. Yes. And I was like, dude, leading into winter time It's like that's when just natural cycles of real estate inventories levels rise and median sales price drops. But through the summertime, we were already having that, and that's that's double headwinds that you're heading into like some of the worst times of the year. And I was like, Oh shit.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, Great. So got- that
0: so that that was his point, is that we're heading into winter and spring is a long ways away. And for these investors and wholesalers that are used to living paycheck to paycheck, it's going to be a really rough winter. You know, it's going to be a winter where they may have to go get jobs. They may have to go, you know, drive Uber or Lyft or something like that, which is perfectly okay. You know, like you got to do what you got to do to take care of your bills, but it's going to potentially be a pretty rough time because like we talked about before, everybody says, Oh, you know, I can't wait for the crash. We need a crash, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do when it crashes? Oh, I'm going to make a lot of money. No, but what? I don't know. Exactly.
1: Yeah. you don't know how because like, you don't is make money affect. in the re- the, re- the recession. You make money coming out of the recession. Yeah, it's like as things are going down, sliding down, and that slack in the lines like it gets very difficult yeah. because your sales are down. People want still high prices. Like it, the fear hasn't set in. Real estate is a leading indicator in my mind of like kind of where the overall economy goes, especially when you see the Fed driving it with the interest rates. Because you think about how many hands touch the real estate market between your farmers planting and growing trees, the people cutting those trees down, or the, all the iron ore that's come from metal buildings, all the brick that comes from that stuff. Like, and you think about the supply chain of how many manufacturers touch that finished product in your house. Then you buy that house, move into that house. What do you do when you move, buy a new house and move into it? You got to furnish it. New appliances, new beds, new everything, landscape. You got all of those things you got to buy. So you think about how many hands touch that real estate market. And, like, with interest rates being jacked up this high, you can tell, like, the economy is going to slow down because of that. Yeah. So once those rates start coming down, that's how they literally drive the economy is through those interest rates. And real estate's a huge piece of that market. And, I mean, people don't have as big of families when they live in a one-bedroom apartment. No. But if they have a four-bedroom house, like, hey, we can fill this thing a little bit. We have a little more money. Yep. So it's one of those – it's a, it's kind of a leading indicator. And, like, right now with the winner with the highest interest rates, like, I, I do suspect that – and you can kind of see it in the stock market a little bit. And what they've been talking about, they've already said, like, hey, slower rate hikes and things like that. And they kind of hinted at it with the Fed. But he's like, that is for next month. And so that's why the market dropped down. It's like they were expecting it this month or maybe get it next month. But like, it's kind of getting – it's indicating they're getting towards the tail end of these massive drivers of uh, these huge interest rate hikes. Yep. And then they'll start slowly lowering it back down. So, But it's – all of what they've done this year has not hit the real economy yet. No. Because it's the real estate market, and now you're starting to see contractors starting to realize, like, shit, there's not as much work as there used to be anymore. Like, I need to lower my prices. Yeah. But the problem with those dudes, they made huge money these last two years. They all went out and bought fancy new $80,000 pickups and all that stuff. So, like, that, there's going to be repercussions from that these next two, three, four years. So that's the time and that, that – uh,
0: that's the biggest lesson I think I've learned from reading and, and studying all the wealthy people that we've oh. studied in the past is that – They buy all their luxury items in bad economies. They never buy Lambos, watches, houses during the good times. Yeah. They never do. During the good times, they got their head down and they're making money. When the bad times come, that's when they go shopping. Yeah. And that's, we saw the complete opposite. And it's all new investors. Like all the ones that we've seen, they're all new. They've recently started a business, they've recently started investing. So all they know is a great market. That's all they know. Yeah. So they're they're not even prepared for what's coming because they you know they thought the good times are gonna roll.
1: Yeah, and I just it just popped in my head. We're talking about uh like two, three, four years from now. Remember that thing I talked about like mortgage and taxes and like how those payments are really gonna rise. Yeah. People that have bought these last two, three, four years, and it's like explain that
0: again. Explain that for anybody that hasn't heard. Oh man, I gotta add this. It's really good because it is kind of. It it took a minute to think this through. Oh, so I think before before he gets going with that, if you don't know, you can join our text community where you can ask us questions directly about strategies, deals, anything that you're working on, uh, and we respond directly to you. Uh, And then we also give a lot of tips and stuff that you won't hear anywhere else on social media, uh, purely because some of them, you know, they're not. I'm uh, in for public at, forums. Yeah, yeah, they're not way. made for public forums. People get offended. So <laughs> if you want to join that text community, just text the word YouTube to two one zero seven nine four nine eight nine eight. And ask us any questions. If you ever have any doubts or anything about what's going on, just give us a, uh, a, a quick message and we'll respond.
1: Okay. So back to my point, and I know we have clips on this somewhere cause I've talked about this several times. So I know they're floating around there, uh, in the internet space. Um, but when you think about the way taxes are done or property taxes specifically are done here in Texas. So say you bought a house in 2020, right? As things were taken off, we, so they assess taxes in 2020 as of January 1st of 2020 you bought that house. The first year we only had like a seven or 8% increase in prices. So now 2021 comes around. They assess your taxes, goes up 8%, not that big a deal. Well, now your mortgage pays those taxes in 2021 based on their 2021 values based off the payments that you started putting in, in 2020. So your escrow is going to be short come 2022. 2022. Yeah. Your escrow is now short. So they're going to do an escrow analysis and be like, Hey, we undercut your escrow. We need to raise your payment, or you need to give us an extra $4,000 to do bring your escrow back up to where it needs to be. Hmm. Well, most people don't have that. They take the payment option. So I can spread that over time. Cool. I'll do that. So now in 2021, we had a huge run up in prices. So with that, the taxes went up that freaking 20%. So now assess 2021. Your payments now your esc- your tax bill's gone up twenty percent. Well, the bank is now going to pay your twenty twenty two taxes in December of twenty twenty two. So now they're going to do their escrow analysis in twenty twenty three, and your payment's going to be twenty percent short because they base it off the interest rate back into twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, or your interest rate or your escrow analysis back then. Yeah. So now you're massively short. They're like, hey, your escrow is now short again. You owe us another $7,000 or whatever it may be. I'm a little bit drastic yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. But your payment, they're like, ooh, I can't pay that. I need to put an extra – I'll take the $200 a month. Well, you just did a $100 a month increase in 2021, 200 in 2022. Well, now when they do a taxes in 2023 – your values are still up. Even though real yeah. estate prices might be falling or stabilizing a little bit, you still had six months of this year of price increases. So that means you're going to get another It's not going to be like 18 20% like it was before, but it might be 10%. Well, now you think about that time frame I just went through. They're not going to assess that value to your escrow account until 2024. And they're going to be like, your escrow short again. Your payment just went up another $150. So 100 200 150 You're talking $450 on just an average person's house that their payment has gone up and those do not go down. No. And you, cause you look how everyone's like, Oh, the real estate's going to crash. Like look at all the things people are doing. Like they are sitting on mass records amount of equity and the things you can do to offer somebody to buy your house where I'm going to give you seller concessions and I'll buy down your rate from a seven to a a five. I'll put $20,000 in rate buy downs to you to get you a good rate. They have the equity to do it. Yeah. So, the, but the price of the home does not drop. It's the price that it stays stable. There's a lot of things you can do to try to incentivize people to buy your house before dropping that price. And people will do exactly that because they want to say, I sold it for a high price, even though I gave away a bunch of concessions and things like that. So, you think about how those taxes really go and what we're talking, just got on talking about, like the real estate winter and stuff like that. And that's why when prices of real estate can fall quickly and they continue to fall even though the economy's rebounding interest rates are dropping so it is a very long kind of tailwind for that stuff so like I we've talked about this like in 2024 2025 people that bought in 18 19 2021 20, they're like I can't afford these freaking payments anymore uh this this is just too much but they have a 2.85 percent interest rate on their mortgage and if rents have appreciated enough, that you can cash flow off that thing, no equity, but you're cash flowing and you're getting a mortgage rate at 2 point whatever percent, that's fantastic. The asset is that freaking mortgage now, not so much the house. Yeah. So it's one of the things we're really looking forward to and going to be looking and hunting for is those type of properties. Is your first time home buyers that bought 17, 18, 19, 20, not realizing the maintenance that went with it and they've just seen their payments just boom, 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 boom. And hopefully we'll still have some appreciation out of that point and they're like, I can get out of this thing for what I bought it for, and I have to put more money into this house. Like, take it. I'm done. So, yeah, yeah
0: it's it's definitely going to be a, a very interesting time to, and a lot of opportunities. Which, uh, like I said, uh, towards the end of this, we're going to talk about all the different strategies you need to start learning and you know paying attention to because it's the only ways that you're going to pretty much make money in that kind of turn. But what I found interesting too is um, Brian in that in that talk that he gave, he says that. You expect this down cycle through 2023 and possibly 2024. And I was just reading an article by uh, that Wells Fargo, which apparently they're a big, uh, mortgage, uh, no generator and holder. Uh, they project sharp declines in new home sales of 10% existing home sales of 7% and single family housing starts of 7% and housing GDP of 10%. And then, that's this year. That's what they're expecting this year. Then in 2023, Wells Fargo expects the housing downturn to intensify further. Next year, the bank forecasts another drop in new home sales of 6%, existing home sales of 13%, and single-family starts of 12%, and housing GDP of 16%. So they say a housing correction is already underway. The primary driver behind the housing market correction thus far has been sharply higher mortgage rates. Um, The fiercely hawkish Fed is one reason why we expect mortgage rates to remain above 6% through Q4 of 2023. So this is something that I saw across the board from, it didn't matter what side of the aisle they're from, they all expect like, even if rates come down a little bit and everything, mortgage rates are not going to go down below 6% anytime soon.
1: Well, that's right. And, you think about it somebody bought a house in say 18 19 20 or whenever they bought their house and stuff like that they got a mortgage rate like i think it was 85 percent of u.s mortgage holders are below three percent and i was like holy shit that is insane all these people that refinanced everything this historical one time like kind of drop like that and now they look at like i need to upgrade my lifestyle upgrade my house i want to upgrade it's it's a it's a emotional purchase, not a need at that point. And they go, right. they start going shopping. They start looking at mortgage rates and they're like, Holy shit. That payment is significantly different. Like I'm at 3% now, but now these current stuff at 6%, even next year, if they say they're right, like above 6%, like six and a half percent. And I'm currently at three. I'm going to think twice on that. So there's a lot of mortgage that 85% has to be forced to sell or the need to sell either job relocation, upgrade, downsize, upsize, whatever it may be to get those low, super low rates kind of worked through the system to where you get them to where it's like, okay, now there are more people have these four, five, six, seven, eights, and then they you can start moving around. But when you get looking at so many people that two under 3%, like that's got to work through the system. Yeah. So, well,
0: and I think that's also going to create more pressure on real estate because you're going to have a lot of those people that they're going to probably want to sell, but they're going to look at the market and be like, well, where the hell do I go?
1: Yeah. Where do I go? Yeah. (laughs) Where do I go? And you just look at the price. Like for me to get the equivalent house, like my payment, I'm one for one, my payments, $500 more a month, just because of the interest rate, even if you just move your equity, like you sell my house for a hundred thousand dollars and I put it down on a hundred thousand dollars. Most people are upgrading. So they're going from a $300,000 house to a $400,000 house. And that extra hundred thousand dollar debt, plus all the debt you still had to pay off went from a three to a six. Like you're talking 30%, 36% just on the debt that you were still carrying. And then now you got to add another hundred thousand on top of it. So yeah, it's going to be very expensive. And a lot of those people are like, there's a lot, it's going to be a very long tailwind that, uh, or headwind, I guess, at that point, to kind of get behind those rates and to see things kind of stabilize.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it, and then you keep having even more downward pressure from the stock market. Um, people are, are losing for a lot of people that do have, you know, their, their retirement and everything in the stock market. They've seen a lot of wealth get wiped out. And you're saying it's fine. The wealth effect. It, yeah, it's fine because, you know, it, it's going to pick back up. Yeah, but what if you're a baby boomer and you need to start pulling that money now to to maintain your lifestyle? Like you lost a lot of net worth recently.
1: Well, yeah, especially because most of those older people they start transitioning to bonds. Yeah. For safety. Safety ain't been in the bond market this last this year. It's been through the I mean, it's dropped, I mean, not as much as the stock market, but it has dropped a a ton. So it is, it worries a lot of people. So it's not just like your, your, your portfolio stayed the same to where you're like your typical, like 60, 40 or whatever it is. Or even if you swapped the other way, 40, 60, you're still seeing huge declines in those retirement accounts. Cause even for real estate, oh, real estate's so much safer. Like, yeah, because we're based on a year over year basis and we don't have immediate liquidity like that to where it, it's, you can already see it slowing down. We're still up year over year for sure, but we're not year over year. Twenty percent anymore. We're starting to get down, and I'd expect this month to be in this back in the single digits on year-over-year appreciation. Well, but I that's saw still
0: the S and P year-over-year. It's down sixteen percent. Yeah. So I mean, you know, like that's a that's a massive wipe in and and your your buying and you're not in your investment uh, potential. Now I did have a question from somebody that they asked me: um, Is now a smart time to be buying rentals? so what are, what are your thoughts on buying rentals in this kind of economy and and yeah, what do you see there?
1: I mean it's always a good time like when was the best time to buy something It was but an asset? It was yesterday right so like is it still a good time for sure if you buy the right house, is it a harder time to buy that right house now? one hundred percent for sure, but this is a great time to buy a rental if it cash flows and you have enough spread and you know what you're doing, yes. I mean, we're still buying, but it's also like I just talked about. I'm not buying it 75% minus repairs anymore. I'm 10 grand minus 70% minus repairs plus trying to get a little more on top of that. So if I were to buy, I'd be great. But I know plenty of people that are st- would still buy when the right opportunity presents itself. But like I said earlier, like there's no such thing as a bad product. It's a bad price. So it's on you to find that good property to get that uh, that mortgage payment where you need it to be to buy a rental property. So yeah, it's a good time to buy rental properties. It's just harder to buy rental properties.
0: So how would you be flow. analyzing a rental right now?
1: I mean, it's it's to the solving to the payment. Like you just need to run like, hey, based on the payment, the repairs I need to get, the refinance I need to do, my I would want more cash flow right now than just saying like ah, I'm doing fine at $200 a month. Like no, I would want 300, 350 or more. So it's solving to that payment. The problem is people's mortgages are higher than what you're willing to offer, but there are, I mean, we got, I don't know how many in the cat, like 1.8 million entries between like commercial and single family housing here in, United that's a lot of property and not everyone has mortgages. So the deals are out there. They're just hard to find. And so that, I would that, solve the, to other, the payment.
0: And the other problem is like that. They got to factor in is what you talked about before about the taxes. Those people like it affects cash flow because if your taxes are also going up that much, you got to do rent increases. Yeah. You know, and rent increases usually sucks, especially if you got to, like you're saying, if your mortgage went up 150 and you're trying to increase your rent, 150, like that's going to hurt your tenant. You know what I mean? Because a lot of tenants and what, from what we've seen, they don't make that much more than what they need to qualify for that rental. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, you're they pretty much don't qualify for that extra 100 150 that you got to raise the rents. So, is there a type of property you're looking at? Like let's say, you know, you want to stay within, you know, the more affordability bracket, lower end. Uh, what what are you seeing there?
1: I mean, I would definitely try to stay. I mean, it's every investor's got got their flavor. Because we had a conversation not too long ago about like people buying new construction, mm-hmm. and It's like just buying a brand new home. It's like you're not going to cash flow, but if you got the the cash reserves and the job to sustain it, and I would buy brand new houses if I was sitting on that kind of employment, because like a brand new home is going to have very little maintenance. You can get the best tenants in the world, but you're not going to. It's going to be a great long term investment. It's not going to be a great short term investment. But if you're needing cash today. And you're needing to build like a big portfolio that sustains itself without any extra liquidity injection by your W-2 income, you're gonna have to stay in the C, B, C class because we wanted to. That's why we haven't bought rentals. Like we wanted to stay in the B, mid-B and up, and like you can't find those anymore. You can't find payments, or you probably can. They're just much harder to find, which is why we haven't bought anything. Because we want a certain level of tenant. But to get to that kind of cash flow, you got to start getting into like D, C, low B minus kind of stuff. And those type of tenants take more, you have to be more active with working with them because their credit scores are low. They're the reason that they can only afford a $1,200 month payment and not buy a $400,000 house. Like They're financially not as stable. So you kind of have to work with them a lot more. You have to be active. They can't make payments all the time, so you can't be like, I'm going to charge you your 10% late fee and your $10 a day. Get out of the house. Like You're constantly going to be turning over tenants at that point because you're never going to be able to get that constantly. So you have to work with them at that point. They will pay, but you have to work with them. and You have to talk with them. So it is a much more active piece to get that cash flow so you have to take that into account when you're buying your properties
0: so and and i completely agree with that um now here here's a fun question i hear and i see all the time um and this is something guys that you know i'm saying this with a lot of love so it's not for you guys to hopefully get triggered but you're Um, you're the bad john (laughs) i'm the bad john yes i'm the one that you know tells you the things that you don't want to hear (laughs) <laughs> um, don't quit your job for real estate just because it seems cool to do I see these people all the time on social media they're like hey I just quit my job to go full time on real estate and everybody's like oh my god I'm so proud of you and I was like oh well that sucks yeah like wh- what are your plans are you successful in real estate oh no I haven't done a deal yet so what are you gonna do I don't know but why the fuck did you do that like, why would you give up your
1: job for
0: something that you have
1: absolutely no idea what's going to well, happen? just like you said yesterday, like, you quit your job. Like, why? What are you wanting to do in real estate? Well, I want a bunch of rental properties. Well, you shouldn't have quit your job then. Exactly. Because you can't get, like, your ability to get financing just became infinitely more harder to do. And it's like, now it's you can't insane. get your, your conventional or uh, conforming Fannie Mae loans at the 3%. percent you got to go to DSCR loans, and those ones are two to 3% points higher than no. So it's like, congratulations. And in this market,
0: if you haven't been in real estate, you don't have good networks, you don't have, you're not a very resourceful person. Trying to quit your job right now and get into real estate could potentially be one of the worst times to get into it. Because the market's shifting. You're going to need to be very, very strategic, creative with your financing, creative with your real estate strategies. And if you're not a person that's willing to grind that out and learn those things, because it's not that it's impossible. I'm, I believe it's 100% possible, but it, it depends greatly on you. You don't have the market backing you up like you did a year or two ago, like before any idiot looked like a, a freaking genius in this market because the market kept pulling them out. Yeah. But now it's like we're going to see who the real geniuses are that stay in business.
1: I mean, I also say it's I've said this, like might not be the best time to get into it, but it'll be a great time to learn. Like you're going to you're going to learn very quickly. It's like you're going (laughs) to learn a lot of like what this market is. But I also say, like, is it the best time? Like, I don't know, because if you had bought in real estate and got into it two years ago, you made money. Yeah. But you learned nothing.
0: Oh, and we saw we, we we're seeing that with so many as like you yeah. just
1: learned how to find somebody, just get a, sign, a piece of paper, and you found somebody that's willing to pay more for it. That's it. Well, what do you, you call
0: it? You're pushing paper.
1: Yeah, you're just pushing paper. You didn't take the ca- uh, take the time to say like, why is this person buying? You're in real estate for the wrong reasons. Because like we had that question asked yesterday, like what would a new investor do? How should they do it? And I said, what made I think us different? Is we wanted to know, like we asked questions. I'm wholesaling this property to you. Why are you buying this property from me hmm. at this price? I wasn't it wasn't about the money. Yes, they knew I was making money, but I wanted the education. I wanted their knowledge and their brain in my head. And so we would ask questions. What are you looking at? How much is this stuff gonna cost? What does it cost to fix this? what What's your long-term strategy? What's your projected ARV? And then follow up with that person if they're flipping it. Hey, did it work? Did you make the money you thought you were going to make? Did your budget stay within? I'm very curious. Like, in developing that relationship, a, a good investor will see that from somebody. And we know this is an industry that's a pay-it-forward kind of industry of like where an imbe- a good investor can get good deals is from somebody new. And you give them the time of day you see potential in them and they ask you questions, I tell them, like, send me a question. I might not get back to it immediately because I'm busy, but I will get back to you. And then the more you're there and trying to learn and provide value and I can see there's potential in you, it's like I want you in this upper class of investor that's here for the long term. Yep. Because it, it, I tell people, I say, like, the amount of people that have been in real estate, uh, now I adjust this, I used to be like one to two years. I'd say one to three now. See if they're still going to be here in year five. That number just, whoo, it oh, drops quick. You look tremendous. at the RIAs, and you go to them, and you went heavily for the first year, didn't go for another year, and you go back that third year. It's a whole new crowd of people. Yep. You might see 1%, 2% of people that you saw from the very beginning. But it, it's a high, high, high turnover industry. And I think that is what sets people apart, is they are a student of the industry and they have the right why of why they're in this and they actually love real estate mm-hmm. and the grind that this takes. Not just, I can make money. like That's the wrong reason. Like You're, you're going to get whooped in this if that's why you're in this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I had somebody actually come to our office and he was getting started in real estate and he asked, like, you know but i, w- I want to find those people that that they have like the lambos and stuff like that and i want to learn from them i was like why well because you know i i think that's really cool Like, just because somebody has a lambo doesn't mean they could afford the lambo yeah, you know finance a lambo They you don't know if they're broke you don't know if they're if they're gonna be here next year like my my thing like the way I look at it is I rather look for somebody that's been doing this for 10 20 years and they've been successful and those are the people I want to follow. Yeah. And usually those people don't drive Lambos. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, like some of the most successful investors I know drive 2015 pickups. Yeah, uh, regular it, cars. There's regular cars. You would never know they wear tennis shoes and shorts to yeah. meetups. But they it's hold like,
0: two, three hundred doors. Oh yeah, they man. Have multiple projects throughout the country. Yeah,
1: it's like, <laughs> it's like go to the real estate event. Find a guy that looks almost like a bum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's an industry like real estate's an industry where it's like. You go to any other industry, you go to like tech industry, go look for or sales or anything like that, insurance, and it's like it's the sharpest dressed guy with the blingiest thing, oh, like yeah. he's the most successful guy in the room. You go to a real estate event, it's a dude look like he just walked off the street and was hanging out for the free food. You go talk to him, it's like, yeah, on about six, seven hundred doors. I've been doing this since like the early two thousands, yep. and like the most laid back dude sitting in the back of the room, like. That's the guy you want to talk to. It's it's pretty funny. Like when it's you're hilarious. in this, you see that because I mean, you know it. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Oh yeah. Like some we, of the people I know are like
0: all the time, and 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 we still see it to this day. The most successful, and I'm talking about legit successful people, yeah. not people that are just you know social media successful. Like legit successful investors that own hundreds of doors that they you know they've been doing this for decades and been successful for decades. You know, like, and that's where it matters. So. As we get to the back half of this show, I wanted to get into the strategies and the solutions and the things that you can do Ooh. to actually prepare and and succeed throughout all yeah, this. This is my favorite part. Um, this
1: one I've been saying we've been saying this stuff because it's like I want to go back to this time in two years and were we right?
0: Yeah. Oh, we were.
1: Um, <laughs> we we were you're talking yeah, in future I, tense exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from I the future. Oh, you oh, well, know your, your time see, Your time yeah, uh, I am
0: from from the future. I have the Delorean outside. Um, so I wanted to start off with this before we get into like all the actual solutions is you need to define what success means to you because this is where I think a lot of people get uh tripped up in this business is if Lambos. And watches, and that is success to you, then you might struggle because the only way to have that is through making a shit ton of money, right? It, to have it, you know, uh, legitimately and not just financing all that shit, um, it, you got to make a ton, a ton of money to do, to do that. But that doesn't mean that that's what success needs to mean to you, that's what success means to social media. That's what yeah. success looks like to the broad, you know, social media audience. But that doesn't mean that that has to be for you. For me, success sometimes it's we got success in putting in new systems to generate leads. It's success that I I recently had a baby, and it's like I've been able you to be home.
1: Yeah, man, I didn't know that happened. You didn't notice. see? Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a new thing. Guys can have babies now. Don't be don't be a bigot or whatever it is.
1: Um, sorry, world. Sorry, you too. I'm just kidding. I just popped off.
0: God equal rights. Um, (laughs) but so you're having, so my wife just had a baby and, um, and I've been able to stay home and help her out. Right. And the business is still running. That is success to me, right? I'm not driving a Lambo. I don't live in a mansion. I'm not flying in a private plane, but to me, I'm still successful right? Because yeah. I used to be broke. I used to have to go to work Monday to Monday. I don't have to do that. I can do that. I choose to do that, but I don't have to. That's my definition of success, right? So you got to get very clear on what your definition of success is because I'm seeing way too many people measure their success by why, what social media shows to be success. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I've been doing this for X number of years and I don't have the Lambeau. I don't have the the fancy vacations. It's like, well, is that what success means to you? You know what
1: I mean? Like, well, that's one thing. Uh, You know, like I've I've hated this for a long time. Like social media and like people define their success. By what other people are posting on social media. And that's one reason why I, I hated interacting with social media so much is like because I could not differentiate myself. Even though I know the stories that somebody's putting out are just headlines to get eyeballs, it still made me feel bad about myself and what I was doing. It was influencing what I was defining as success even though I knew yeah. there was more to that story than what they had on that. And that's just like, I, I couldn't do it. I had to turn it off. And that's why, and I took that negative condensation into my opinions on social media. Now, knowing it's like understanding it, it's taken me a long time to be able to just be able to, like, I can turn that stuff away. I can I not pay attention to it and feel better about myself. But like, you can't define your success by what other people are posting on their social media. Because oh, yeah. you hear, I mean, it's no secret, you hear people all the time are like, some of the unhappiest people they know are wealthy people. And it's like, wow, you look at somebody that's ultra successful, they're a miserable person outside of that. And I think like some of a lot of these documentaries that have been coming out of like some of like the big sports icons, people you idolize and they show their lifestyle and like more people getting like the truth of it out there. And you're like, ooh, yeah, Michael Jordan was a hell of an all star, but he was a freaking. Asshole. Oh yeah. And he was just seemed like a miserable person to be. Like if he lost a go- game of golf, he was at that dude's door the next morning just beating on it just to get out here. We're going to play. And I was like, <laughs> I heard about that story. and I was like, that just sounds miserable. Well even, even look at
0: right now Tom Brady, right? Like most successful, one of the best quarterbacks and everything. And now he's losing his whole family pretty much because of his, you know, commitment to his job and all this, to his success, to what he wanted to do. And he's losing the things that, to me, matter more than success is your family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that matters more. So, but, again, and this is not to say you shouldn't want the fancy things. I'm not saying that at all. You should want whatever you want. Just make sure it's what you want. Yeah. And not what show, social media is telling you
1: you should want. Or society in oh, in general. Yeah. Because society, it, I mean. Where's your happy place? Huh? Where's your happy place? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, our world does a very good job of trying to reward your negative self-talk of just, like, I need to grind, I need to drive, I need to work, I need to provide. Because that's what – because that overall, your sacrifice does – do quote unquote better for society because it's a more productive thing in the short term. By, by that's why they don't teach financial education in like high schools, right. because they want people to be swiping credit cards. Because when you swipe credit cards, that seventy percent payment goes to the big paychecks of the big Wells Fargos and your Chase and the stock market. All stuff the people like that. that
0: fund the schools, <laughs>
1: yeah, people that fund the schools. So it. The, that's one of like the downfalls i I think of capitalism is that drive of just you need to sacrifice as much as possible to buy the fanciest cars the nicest things and social media has exacerbated that ability to show that off and make people idolize and want that and just grind 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 and ignore everything else because they say like money can buy you everything else but we all know like looking back like "Eh, it doesn't buy happiness and that can be a downfall of a society when you just have everybody being negative and pissed off and the sentiment and it can crash and fall just like Uh, all cycles of life and this
0: is something that uh, you and i don't really agree on is you blame capitalism a lot for this and i look at it more as like you need to take responsibility you know you you need to discipline yourself you need to focus if you have kids you're the one that needs to teach them self-esteem self-worth where they don't get influenced by these things as much. And we all do. It's not that we don't, but you got to take some ownership of what it is because it, that's the great thing with capitalism, in my opinion, is that you can choose whether that's yeah. how you want to live or not. It's true. You 100%. Know? So it's it's 100% up to you if you want to choose that lifestyle. It's just, you know, you got to make the conscious choice to realize, hey, I'm living a life I don't want to be living. I'm stressed the hell out. This isn't what I really want. So then don't do it.
1: Yeah. Follow and what it, you and it can and like it's not to say you and I disagree or, or agree or disagree it's just coming at it from different angles or different points because yeah you I, I capitalism say right thing, you say you're because <laughs> <laughs> capitalism <laughs> does give you that ability to yeah. choose to do the right thing but then capitalism on the other side can say I'm forced the society does try to force you into this mold but you do have the freedom to choose so you do have to have that ability to sidestep it so it can be good in its sense depending as long as not too much I, we The corruption of capitalism, the greed, right. forces it and silences those things and tries to force people into these molds. It's like now that's where it does get bad because that's where I say it, it can be its own yeah. detriment and trip itself up as if it does not allow people to have that freedom to choose. And not necessarily they always have that freedom to choose, but it suppresses their ability to do that by censoring content censoring certain things saying oh we don't want people thinking this way we're not gonna allow people to talk that way and it doesn't i'm not agreeing with anything that's happening the last couple of years i'm talking of society as a general over generations of just trying to force people in here it's like we don't want too many people to think that they have the right to choose to start their own businesses and stuff like that so they kind of they try to push that stuff down and that is the uh the 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 battle of like corporations and government and stuff like that was a good or bad summer's good. Summer's bad. Like it's all has its pros and cons as like, but that is the great thing about capitalism, America, our society and the democracy we do have is like, people do have the ability to find that stuff, but they need to have the ability to do that. And there's a lot of people out there that don't want people to have that because they want them to follow their rules because they make money off of them following the rules. Yeah. So.
0: So, so some tactics for you to use there to, to st- get control of your mindset, and this comes from our, our coach, Mike Kiko. He's our mindset coach. Um, he tells us like, first, you need to be able and willing to sit silently. That's something that Oh, God, many of us. He tells do me not all the time, it. and I'm like, Yeah, no. you, you can't shut up. No. <laughs> but it's one of those things like you need to be able to sit silently so you can contemplate your beliefs your thoughts, you know, is this my belief or is this society's belief, right? Who, whose belief is this? Like, do I feel this way? Do I feel like I need to do this? Or was this my parents telling me I needed to do this? Or society t- making me feel like I need to do this, right? Because you need to start figuring out what your voice sounds like. Because a lot of people, we all think it's our voice, but it's actually our parents. You know what I mean? Or it's it's our friends or it's whoever it is that we hang out with or whatever we follow on social media. So it's those voices that are you are thinking you these are your ideas, but they're actually not. And that's when you have that inner conflict, when it's like you're forcing yourself to do something that you actually don't want to do, but you feel you need to. Mm -hmm. Right. So you need to sit and by sitting in silence, that's when these things hit you. And you can do that through meditation or just simply sitting and staring at the wall. Just disconnect from everything and let your mind kind of start talking to you. You know, another thing he talks about is journaling. Journal all these things because the reason for journaling, what I find the powerful part of it is it's, it slows you down. So for people like you and I that we move really fast and we don't want to slow down, journaling forces you to slow down because you got to write. You got to write it out. You got to think through what you're writing down so you can't, in your mind, you think much faster than at least for me that I can write. Like yeah. uh, sometimes I'm writing and I'm skipping phrases because like I, I'm writing, I'm trying to keep up with my thoughts.
1: People, here's something like people always try to say, uh, "I I just can't, I can't slow down. Like it, to write out, it just takes too long." Like bullshit. How many text messages you send a day? Read a text as you're typing it, and yeah. you'll realize your mind has to slow down. We are going to be going. Tell me your like, – humans can't multitask yeah so if you're typing something out you're not thinking you about can't. something out yep. so it's like you can do it you just don't think you can because you're like oh journaling oh i can't it's i can't write that down it's like journaling doesn't have to be a 10 minute exercise yeah. it can be three it can be one it can be five it can be whatever you want it to be there's no rules and there's no journaling police is gonna come and say you need to do this like, you can do it you do it I, hundreds of times a day i mean some days like i might send 100 text message or more in a day oh, and please. like so you do it a lot and you just don't even realize it
0: so and then the last thing to do so you have sitting in silence meditating whatever that is for you journaling and the last thing is reading more and i like more mindset books one of the books that we're reading right now we're doing a a, a book study on is breaking the habit of being yourself by joe dispenza and he talks about all these things, and he gives you uh, actual strategies and stuff like that. They're great books to read. Read as many books on mindset, on you know how to how to think creatively, how to think through uh, problems, solutions, situations. Because that's where coming with the coming uh, crisis, whatever happens, it's how you process and think about things that's going to get you to be successful. If you're just somebody that doesn't stop to think and just moves, moves, moves you're going to miss out on so many opportunities and so many things because you're not stopping to look around to see what's actually happening. You know, should you be doing this way? Should you be doing something else? You know, you got to be able to slow down. And sometimes reading these books, they give you excellent strategies and ideas and ways to ask yourself different questions. Because a lot of times, and it happened for me, I sit and contemplate, I'm like, I don't know what I believe. You know what I mean? Like, Ah, fuck it. I'm gonna get back to work. You know, it was too slow. But when I'm reading these books, they give me questions. They're like, "What do you feel about this, this, and this?" And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's a good question." So now I have something to actually sit and meditate on, right? And something to contemplate on. So, uh, you know, this whole segment here of mindset is to help you guys get your minds in order, because what's coming, it's it's gonna create. It's gonna need a lot of mental fortitude. And you really need to start putting these things into practice sooner rather than later. Well,
1: and it's one of the things we keep saying that was kind of coming to my uh, brain and thinking right there. Like, And we're not saying it's going to get bad because it could not. Like, There's it's a lot of things that could not, but it, sure. at some point it will get bad. So the sooner you start doing this stuff, the better off you're going to be whenever that time does come. Because it's also like economy shit. Okay, fine. Economy can be doing great. How many people died during COVID? You had a family member go down. That's a very tough time economically for you personally. Yeah. So having these things in your your own head. Yeah, you can have your own crisis. Your own crisis, like whatever that may be. The things that he's talking about right now help during those personal crises, and economically, socioeconomically, your internal – anytime you're feeling difficult stress in your body – like, and you could just having a bad day yourself because you did something, you woke up and stubbed your toe. Like, yeah. being able to, like, like, ooh, calm yourself down and be centered and knowing what your wise your, your definition of successes, all of those things is great for you and your mental health and your long term and your career. Because, like, Mike always says, like, he's like, I'm not a business coach. While, yes, business is a big part of what I help people with, my thing is helping guide the entrepreneur, the business owner. Because what I've seen, if the business owner or the head of that organization is happy in their personal lives, the business kind of takes care of itself. Because a business is a reflection of the mind of the people that are running that organization, whatever that may be. Because he used that example of just like uh, like, uh, Brian Schroeder. He's like, when I met him – Looking, when I met, first met him and then I first met his business, I was like, oh, my God, Like this is the exact way your brain runs. So if you're not right up here, your business isn't going to run well either. But if you get it right up here, it's a self-reflection of who you and are. And a lot a of person. people
0: don't, don't understand that when they're struggling with marketing, with deals, with things like that. It's like that's a reflection of your mindset that you're struggling you know, and I know it may sound woo-woo or whatever, but it truly is. If you're not in the right state of mind, if you're not doing the right actions, then you're not going to have the right mindset and the clarity to go through the right moves, the steps, and, and resources and systems and whatever it is you need because you're not thinking clearly. You know, you're not thinking in the right manner. So your mindset matters tremendously on the level of success you have. So make sure you implement these things and like always – you know, join our text community and text me like I love talking about these things. If you're having some issues, you want to talk through certain strategies, you know, just shoot me a text I love helping people out and I want you guys to succeed. I truly do. This is why we do this. You know, we don't make money and we don't get paid from this. We do it because we want to truly help you guys out. We want you to be prepared and be ready for what's coming. So in case you don't know, just text the word YouTube to 210-794-9898 and you can text us at any time with whatever questions. So first strategy, um, owner financing. So owner financing is something that you and I don't really like, not because of the strategy itself, but because owner financing kills appreciation place, right? And then what we saw in the past couple of years, was we saw the opportunity of appreciation, and we felt that owner financing didn't make sense at the time. We would rather hold them as rentals and get that appreciation. For right? sure. So, what is owner financing? Break that down. What's owner financing?
1: So owner finance terms get thrown around a lot of like, and there's different like quote unquote definitions of, but like the, the true definitions of. I own a property, whatever I own a free and clear, I have a deed, whatever it may be. John approaches me and says, I want to buy your house, but I can't afford a loan. I can say to him, like, look, I'll finance it to you to whatever price. Say I have, say I have a loan, hundred thousand dollars, but I tell John I'll sell it to him for $200,000 and I make that spread. So it's like I'm owner financing the house to him. I have I $100,000 and my payment is $1,000. I owner finance to John for $200,000 for $2,000. He pays me $2,000. I pay the bank $1,000. I get a spread of $1,000. I owner finance that to John, no matter if I had a debt or not. Or if I, yeah, exactly. If I didn't have a debt, I sold to him for $200,000. I became the bank. I get $2,000 a month. He pays all the taxes, mortgage repairs, everything like that. Downside to that is when I own or finance something, I sign that deed over to him. He owns that house now for $200,000. No matter what I owe against it, $100,000, one fifty, dollars or 0 I will never get a dollar more than that of uh, the appreciation of that property. Say you bought that in 2019, and now you're trying to sell it in 2023, and say it is now worth $300,000. Well, he's paid down that note of $200,000 to... Not talking interest rates or anything, simple math. He's paid it down to 150, dollars and it's worth $300,000. He pays me off. I only get 150. dollars He makes that extra $100,000 on that house. I get nothing from that appreciation, which is why we didn't like that. Is because I want that appreciation, and if you had a rental in COVID, before COVID and now afterwards, you got a huge windfall of appreciation. You got a big equity spread now, okay. and if you owner underfinanced, you don't get that. Your payment is fixed, your principal balance is fixed. You're not going to get any more than that unless that person defaults and you foreclose and get the house back. So, 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 uh-huh. so like, were I think say it's not a bad strategy if you make a full-flown full-fledged business out of it because there are some very successful Mm -hmm. owner finance people here in san antonio that do very very well because that's all they do and they rotate and they're constantly bringing in properties constantly sell them and they do very very well but if you're just going to do one owner finance here one rental here this thing or the other uh, that's why we don't like it because we're not making a full business out of Owner financing notes like we I'm li- uh, say we like flipping houses, but we like that appreciation piece because we are very young. Now, it is great for a more hands off piece, but I was speaking with somebody about that. It's like there's a lot more upfront work with owner finance than there is rental properties. And so but on the backside, there's not as much work. So it's a give and take between the two strategies. But
0: coming up, uh, uh, what you can use for owner financing in a different way is you could always buy a house through owner financing. So if you come across a seller that has plenty of equity in the property or they own it free and clear and they want maybe close to damn near retail, we'll buy a house like that with the right terms. Like if we we negotiate terms on that property – where we can get the property, they, they're they pretty much giving us the loan and we're making a payment and then we're able to rent it out for a profit, Yeah. Um, we'll lock that up all day long because our tenant is paying down that payment and we're locked in with a great loan that we don't have to go to any bank for.
1: Oh, for sure. I, I love this example when uh people say like around here, say a couple streets down, houses are worth for a high 200s, low 300s. I woke up to you, say you own a house for $300,000 and I say, I'm going to pay you a million bucks for your house. Yeah. You take it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll take it. Cool. I'm going to pay you a dollar a day. Yep. I will buy that all day if somebody agrees to that. <laughs> As you do the math, I only have to pay you $365 a year forever for yeah. a million bucks. You'll get a million do dollars. Care? Yeah. was like, I don't give it $10 million. It yep. does. The price does not matter if I can control the terms. Yeah. So that it, is something to think about coming into a, this. It's an
0: over exaggeration of what it would be. Yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's exactly what it is. It's with the right terms, price doesn't matter. Exactly. Because with time, anything, real estate always makes sense with time. So it doesn't matter what the price is as long
1: as you finance it correctly. And I love paying off people with cheaper dollars. Oh, yeah. Because inflation, $100 at the beginning of this year, at the end of this year, is 8% inflation over the year. That $100 is now only worth $92. Yep. But now over time, compound that over 10 years – It's like you're paying people off with today's dollars off of previous dollars. That's why people love – that's why the – I mean, the reserve came out and said it. That's like our job is to devalue the dollar. Yeah. And just add zeros to the balance sheet. So it's telling you it's like I, I want to play their game. It's like that is why they want inflation. That's why the last couple of years, why I think they did what they did for – and COVID was a perfect example to flood the economy with money to create inflation because we had such low inflation. Because low inflation and deflation is the worst thing for government budget balance sheets, corporations, debt holders – is how your debt is getting more expensive and your earning power is going down and your income is going down. So that's why they want that inflation. So I want to do the exact same thing. It's like I want to buy today at a fixed interest rate of three percent or even eight percent if the d- the numbers make sense. Because in the future, like I'm gonna be paying it off with those active dollars and paying off previous dollars that have been inflated away. Yeah, so so
0: if you're right now, when the market turns or if it turns, whatever happens, and you're dealing with sellers that they're like, man, these people want retail, oh, maybe do an owner finance strategy. You know what I mean? I, again, we don't mind paying retail if the terms are right, because yeah. at that point, you get uh, some low financing. And guess what? Here's a, even the better part for a lot of you guys. But if, Even if you say, oh, but I don't want it. Well, you can always wholesale a deal like that. We've done it. Because there's a ton of buyers out there that would love to get their hands on a property like that. Our
1: most probably eventually will be our most profitable real estate deal that we've done. It was an owner finance deal from a wholesaler that wanted to be bought out. Yeah. Yep. He wanted the liquidity today, so we paid him today, and we're going to make the huge windfall at the end when – the yeah. owner finance terms are done in, I think it's like 2025 or something like that, because of the type of financing that it was set up. So it's like, yeah. I will gladly pay those. And like they they'd say, like installment payments. There's plenty of people out there tell you the way to pitch these deals. And it's, it's very it, it's genius how they present it. Yeah. We're like, I will gladly pay you in installment payments. Not taking loan, not taking interest rates. I'm just say, just like I use the example, like uh, they didn't they don't do it anymore, but I don't know if you ever did it like a kid, like put something on layaway at Walmart. Oh
0: yeah, that's how I bought my first bike.
1: <laughs> yeah, layaway. Yeah. It's like I'm doing the exact same thing when I buy that house, except yeah. I get to take it home today yeah. and not uh, have to wait till I pay it off. It's like I'll pay you hundred, you want hundred thousand dollars? Look, I'll pay you hundred and ten if I can only pay you five hundred dollars a month. Cause I can now go out and rent, and taxes only two fifty, insurance is a hundred, that's eight fifty payment, and I can go rent the thing for thirteen hundred dollars. Yep. That is now. And now there's no interest rate, so like I'm making straight principal pay down every single month. So by the time I'm paying that thing off instead of thirty years, I'm paying that thing off in ten. So
0: and then now here's a big kicker. There's an extra added benefit to the seller on this, because if they sell their home, if, or let's yep. say it's a rental, whatever it is, and they sell that property. They're going to have a massive tax liability, but if they do these installment plans, they won't, you know, so it won't push them to another tax bracket. It won't do any, it won't harm them tax wise. So that's another selling feature where it's like, look, you can sell it out right, right now, but you're going to have a huge tax implication, or we can do these installment plans and you're going to get your money over the course of X number of years. So then you, you, you separate that money over a couple years and it's not going to be as bad. Right. So, I mean, great opportunity with owner finance. Get educated on it. Find the people that are educated on it, because those are going to be the people you're going to be partnering with when these times come. Uh, next strategy, subject two. So subject two is much like owner finance. Um, it's a strategy I mean, that it technically used.
1: is owner finance. There's just different classifications. That's why I kind of gave that yeah. example of like owner finance its true form is, is I finance it to you, whatever that mortgage is. So sub two is is an owner finance
0: it is, but it's a different type. So it break down a subject to deal. Like what's that look like?
1: Okay. So subject to deals, you're buying it. Like that example I used earlier of the mortgage of a hundred, a hundred, hundred thousand, whatever it may be. So subject to just really means I'm buying a house subject to the existing mortgage. So and switch the roles i approach john as a seller and he's in foreclosure and say that he it has no he's got some equity not a whole lot and for me the investor i come and say hey i can't give you any money maybe i give you a thousand bucks to move out or whatever it may be because there's not a lot of equity in there and there's not a lot of big spread so for me i come in and, and say i'll take that payment over and there's like what do you mean by that it's like look you're $10,000 behind, $20,000 behind. I'm going to come to you, buy your house. I'm going to reinstate your mortgage and I'm going to buy your house subject to that existing mortgage. Your name is going to stay on that debt, but I'm responsible paying for it. So John goes off his way. I reinstate the loan. I get the times. I go through, I rent it out. So now my tenant pays me 1500 a month. His payment, John's payment is $1,200. I now go pay that mortgage on his behalf the $1,200 to the bank. So I bought the house subject to John's existing mortgage. He's still responsible for the debt, but I own the deed to that property. So I make the payment on John's behalf. So it's a win-win for everybody. He doesn't get foreclosed on. The tenant gets moved into the house, gets a house, and I make a little bit of cash flow in between. Yep. So that and you is, picked up a house for a lot less. I than, bought a house instead of paying $200,000 that John owed $180 against. I paid $10,000 to reinstate it. Yep. And I got a mortgage where I think, like in probably say ten years, these two three percent mortgage rates are what I'm buying. It's like I want that interest rate you got on that mortgage because now mortgage rates are seven eight percent. I want that mortgage that's seasoned at ten years and at two percent. I'll give you an extra ten thousand dollars to buy that mortgage and take it subject to that existing mortgage. Yep. So it's a great way to get into a house where, like, I don't have two thousand two hundred thousand dollars. Well, the bank's already giving them one hundred and eighty. Like, just buy that. And reinstate for $10,000. Now I got his loan for $10,000 to reinstate it. And now I hold the deed and I can get a rental property and cash flow it that way.
0: Yeah. you And not just for rental properties, but we've used this when we are flipping a property. We've we've done flips uh, in the, these past couple of years where we bought the property subject to. And all we needed to come to the table was with the rehab money. So we didn't even have to borrow that. We put up our own capital. We renovated the house. And when we sold it, we paid off the mortgage. And we got our our money back and then some. So it cost instead of costing us on that project, I think it was like, I don't know, like 150 to buy, renovate it, and everything. It ended up costing us closer to like 30, 40 grand. A deal. Yeah, we've
1: done re- we've bought rental properties. Yeah. That way, I was like we've bought rental properties, owner finance. We've bought uh, flips, owner finance. We even bought a rental on owner finance and refinanced out of that owner finance deal into permanent financing yep. so like it is a great strategy but there are you need to find somebody because it's very easy strategy to screw up and do wrong and create yes. all kinds of problems uh for any number of reasons so like you need to find somebody that can help walk you through that deal or has had to tell you like what are the pitfalls what are the issues what are the concerns of people that are going to have because you can sell people on owner finance but problems can arise in two, three, four, five years because that person is still responsible for that debt. And it does still show up if they try to go get another house, they're going to run their credit and say, you used to have a $1,500 payment. No, I sold that house. That doesn't matter. Your debt's still attached to that property. That name is still attached to that mortgage. So that's going to negatively impact your ability to get credit in the future if it's not done right.
0: Yeah. You, you got to be careful, especially with a lot of these uh, YouTube gurus, that they make these strategies seem so simple, but you gotta look in your in the market that you're buying in. What the are the state, laws? The, the state, state you're in. Yeah, They're very what, important. What the regulations are there? What are the contracts that you should be using? Uh, we always give when we do uh subject twos with sellers and everything. We do give them the right to foreclose on us. There's a lot of investors that do not do that. So, and that's in our opinion, you know, that's a, a really messed up way of doing it because you can completely jeopardize the credit, everything. And they're the ones that are going to get foreclosed on, not you. And you don't care. So always do it the right way. This is a very powerful strategy, but it's a strategy that can get you into a lot of trouble and it can get a lot of people into trouble. So make sure you, you're seeking out again, don't find a guru from another state, another market, find people that are local to your market and get their knowledge, their information. Talk to yeah. your local title companies. What documents? What contracts do they like to use? You know what is it that they will close on? Because that title insurance, all those things really matter.
1: Especially around the owner finance strategy. Like you can get a guru that comes across on teaching fixing and flipping. That that's pretty universal. Yeah. But like when you get the no money down, figure out how to buy houses, owner finance, and it's a traveling guru. Yeah. Is like. That is where it can get very dangerous because real estate but you can is use hyper their
0: contracts though. <laughs> they have their custom contracts. Yeah,
1: real estate is hyper, hyper, hyper local. Not yeah. only federally, state, county, down to the city. Cities have their own regulations around it. like the city of Philadelphia banned wholesaling. If you're going to Traveling Guru and you go through Philadelphia and you can say you're wholesaling, you don't know your local regulations, and you do that, like you just screwed yourself. Yeah. So especially around this strategy, because there are all kinds of different laws around the disclosures you need to do, the different types of things you need to say, it, it, around a lot of that stuff. So like when it comes to the owner finance piece, and you're going to get a lot of these people coming around, especially now with the uh, market we're in, I, I feel like you're going to get a lot of gurus coming out. Preaching the no money down stuff like that, you need 100%. to be, you need to be very very uh, diligent and who you listen to on that kind of stuff. So yeah. you can get base education for sure. Yes. It's great. You can get knowledge. You can get terms. You can get possibilities. But when it comes to actually executing, make sure you know somebody that's in that local market and has done it in that specific area uh, to help guide you on especially on your first one.
0: Yeah, that's very important. So subject two again, that's an amazing strategy. It's gonna it's how we got started in real estate. When I got started, I was doing a uh, pre-foreclosure marketing and it was all subject to deals. I mean, it was, you know, it was the bread and butter of how we started. So, and it's all coming right back around. Um, so definitely start learning that strategy and find the people that know how to do it in your local market. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about, and this, uh, we probably should have started here, but one of the most powerful, powerful, and, and I want you to lean in and pay attention Just to turn the ball, vol- Turn the volume yeah. up. Tell the dog to be yeah. quiet. Tell kids everybody, to go to the room. shut the phones off. Put them in your microwaves. Um, this is a time to <laughs> oh really listen. It's networking. None of this is going to work for you if you don't have the right people, the right group of people around you that you can ask, you can reach out to, you can partner with, you can, you know, tap on the shoulder to, to help you out. None of this shit is going to help you if you don't have that group and those resources available to you. So you need to be networking. The best networking that I like to do is the happy hours, the coffee events, all these little, the smaller ones where you can have more one-on-one interactions with people. Yeah. Um, and when you go to the RIAs, I usually, when I go, I do the networking part. And whenever the presentation or the sales pitch starts, that's when I typically leave because I just go for the networking, right? I want to meet the people and you want to start meeting investors that are savvy investors that have been doing this, I would say at least a decade, right? Not people that just started in the last three years, four years, two years. They're not going to be people that most of them may not be around in the coming years. So, but the people that have been doing this for 10 years, 15, 20 years, they know what's happening. They know how to invest. They know how to buy. So these are the people you want on your list of contacts, whether you're wholesaling, you want them as buyers. If you're investing, flipping buy and hold anything like that, you want them as your, as for consultants. You know what I mean? Like these are people that right now we're doing a deal on on a type of strategy that we've never implemented before. And we have our people, our Rolodex, our, our Rolodex, right? We have a Rolodex. Is that a watch? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a knockoff version of the Rolex. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we have our, our contacts that we reached out to one of our, our coaches, and we asked him about this deal and everything. We're partnering with him on the whole thing. He's quarterbacking this whole deal. We've never done this type of deal before. So after doing this, we're going to know so much more because now we learn what contracts he uses, what's the process he does, how are the steps that he takes so we are learning from somebody that's done this oh. hundreds of times i
1: mean that if you can look at our story and we tell people like people like i mean i'm not this doesn't sound arrogant or cocky but the people look up to us and they, they've said it like oh my god you guys look like you're killing it, all this other stuff and it's like we still it's like we got here by partnering with other people so we can learn we're still doing that seven eight years later I don't know a strategy. I know it's possible. I found a guy that knows how to do it. I'm partnering with him and I'm giving him 50% of the profit and I'm doing all the work. Yeah. And that's how we started. And that we still do that today to learn a new strategy. What we did when we first started, giving 50% of our profit away on a flip for somebody else to bring the money. We don't do that anymore. Because we don't need to do that anymore because we know what we're doing and we have the credibility behind doing that and the confidence to do that. Now, this one, I don't have the credibility uh, or the confidence to do this type of deal we're doing right now. They do. But now I can go through and watch the whole thing. They get a huge chunk of money. They benefit from it. And I gain all kinds of knowledge. And that's why I say a lot of people, you can't get freaking greedy on doing your first deals.
0: And that's uh, that's really the, the biggest highlight there is we value knowledge and resources over money. Where it's like you give away 50%. I don't give a damn. Like when we talked about this deal, uh, you called me up and you're like, hey, do you wanna partner with Logan on it? You know, we're gonna have to give him 50%. It's like, okay. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, we'll give him whatever the hell he wants because he's gonna walk us through the whole thing. What we want is the knowledge, is the resources. Because once you gain that knowledge and resources, you can do this yourself as much as you want, you get 100% of it. But if you're starting at first like that stupid mentality people have, they're like, oh, I learn better on my own. That's, that's beyond ignorant. Like, how do you learn better? You don't even know what the hell you're he learning. You took
1: a baby and said, just left it in a room and just sit there like, how knowledgeable is that thing going to be?
0: Oh, very. <laughs> and that's just said, like,
1: you, our brains do not just absorb knowledge without experience other people somehow. Like, yeah, you can read you books. Somebody wrote that damn book. Yeah. You just learn from somebody. So I learned better on my own. Like, yeah, you yeah, had to learn from somebody. We,
0: we partner, we network, we, we have always, we're all, even when we already think we know the answer, we still call people that are smarter than us, that have done this more than us. And we pick their brains because maybe they know a way to do it that we don't. And the more successful we've become, the more money we spend on coaching and training and education because we know that's where the value is. It's not on just making more money because if you don't broaden your knowledge and your experiences and your resources, you're not going to make any money. So, make sure you're out, you're networking because uh, that's the other thing that's going to happen when if the market does turn and it turns bad, you're going to start seeing a lot of these rias go out, you're going to start seeing a lot of these meetups go away, so you're not going to have access to all these people. So, take advantage now, get out there and network in your local market. So, the next thing is Focusing primarily on income producing assets. So we are no, we're not speculating, you know, we're not getting into the flipping uh, as much as we were. We're, we're not doing all those things. We're focused more on income producing assets. And when it comes time to what we're wholesaling, we're marketing to income producing assets because that's who we know the buyers are going to be. So you want to break down what that looks like in all spaces.
1: So what we had been doing these last several years, we were targeting things that we now classify as equity properties because they don't make sense as rentals. They don't make sense as owner finances. The only way it made sense is the fact that I could buy it for one price. I could improve that property and sell it for a higher price and make a spread in between. That's the only really thing that made sense because I was going after that equity piece that I was able to force into that property and sell. So an income producing property is something that a or we've talked about rental properties owner finance deals those are income producing assets and those typically tend to be more of a lower price point home or a multi-family commercial style property whatever that may be it means that somebody's able to produce an income with that asset so owner finance piece we talk about i can buy a house for $70,000. I sell it to somebody else for say $80,000. They go borrow $100,000 against that property, put that 20,000 into the property, sell the thing on payments for 140. And now they make a spread in between because they only own a hundred. They make a $140,000 note on that. And they make a spread in between on that piece. So that is an income producing property. Why we're doing that is because that person does not care about interest rates that the Fed is doing, which are traditional mortgage rates, because they're never touching that prop that that property. Because when they bought it from us for 80 and borrowed 120, they use private money at say 8%. Now they went and sold that thing with payments to somebody that can't qualify for a mortgage, whether it be credit issues, uh, some form of reason they can't go get a traditional mortgage. So, but they can say, I can afford that payment at 140,000 and say their interest rate is 10%, whatever it may be, 12%, 14. It's usually higher interest rates and stuff like that. And now they sold it for 140 at 14%. So they owe debt of 100 at eight, and they own an asset at 140 and 12% interest and they create a spread. They never want to touch the Fed. They don't They don't care what it is yep. because that they are looking at basically payments on what that person, they're solving to the payment on the back end. Yeah. So that's why we call those types like income-producing assets. And then you have your rental properties, which everyone knows those, commercial, small multis. Those ones still depend on the interest rates of the Fed. But if you have a five-unit property, it's a commercial loan. That's the same type of loan you're going to get for an 8-unit, a 10-unit, 15-unit. Everyone's playing on the same uh, playing field when you get into that 5-plus units. Yeah. So y- it makes it easier. They're sol- they still – everybody in that asset class has to solve to that payment. Yeah. So it's a l- little bit different game. So that's why we're now targeting income-producing assets. And then the
0: other benefit to marketing for these deals. So if you're a wholesaler and you're marketing to these, you're going to get – better deals this way because you're going to be able to offer more income producing buyers. They're willing to pay a little bit more because they're going to be holding onto the property so they can wait for the equity Um, versus a fix and flip buyer. They need the big discounts because they're looking to buy it, fix it up and sell it right away. So they need those margins where a buy and hold buyer may not even need to fix up the property if it rents as is. So you have a lot better negotiations, you can possibly wholesale it for a little bit better profit. Um, you're most likely definitely going to find a buyer for it. So we love income-producing assets because I think the buyer pool is definitely going to be there. Uh, they're going to be there at a higher price point than your fix and flip buyers. You're going to have better opportunities with uh, when you're negotiating deals. Um, and you're definitely going to be able to make some more money in that respect. So definitely start targeting more income-producing assets versus um, – you know these massive, you know, flips, historic deals, and all those things. I think you're gonna see a, a bigger struggle in those areas. And lastly, the biggest uh, thing in order when you're doing marketing or any type of lead gen and everything is gonna be your follow-up game. If you don't have a follow-up system, and we prefer uh, a CRM, uh, the CRM that we use is Re Simply, ends with a I, not a Y. And if you go to resimply.com forward slash AIJ uh, you'll get a discount if you sign up to it. And um, we, this is a CRM we've been using for over a year. We love it because here's the thing, like I said before, you got to make disrespectful offers, right? And what I mean by disrespectful offers is you just got to make offers that are low enough to protect your investment, to protect the investor. Like you, you gotta, you know, you gotta understand where the market is going. And a lot of these people are going to, they're going to tell, you no at first, but what we've been realizing is because we're following up with them a few months later, all of a sudden they're entertaining those offers because they're realizing that's like, man, the market's changing. I'm not getting anywhere near what I wanted. So they're starting to come down. But what I see with so many people is nobody follows up. They try one time, they tell them no, and that's it. And I'm like, well, now the next person that follows up with them is going to get the deal. Because these people, if they're interested in selling, they're going to still be interested in selling. You understand? Because they have something that's making them want to sell. So if their motivation is strong enough, they're going to sell at some point. The difference is are they going to sell to you or are they going to sell to somebody else? So if you set up a good follow-up game and you're following up with these people, you know, touching base and trying to make sure do they need anything else, just checking in on you, seeing if you have any other questions, just keep following up because eventually these people will come down to the price that makes sense for you and for them to sell. So, And and within that, one of the things that I wanted to bring up that I thought was really funny is uh, our acquisition manager. She was telling us how we've been getting deals because a lot of wholesalers right now are so disrespectful when they're speaking to sellers. So we're marketing the foreclosures and everything, and they're telling us like, Yeah. Hey, uh, so when can I go see the house? Like, what do you mean? Like, Well, you're, you're in foreclosure. You're going to lose the house. So you got to sell it. When can I go see it? This is like, well, screw you. I'm not selling it. I was like, wow. Yeah. Be have some empathy here. You know, these people are in foreclosure. A lot of people in foreclosure, they're very, very emotional because it's a very stressful situation. And for you to just approach them with like, you know, Hey, it's like, like I said, like going to a bar. And as soon as you walk in the bar, you see a girl, you're like, oh, you want to go home? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh. <laughs> build up a little, a little rapport first. Try to get to know them a little bit. Try to get them to like you before you try to close them so quickly. And and that's one of the things that follow-up game helps in tremendously is you go building that rapport. You know, and with foreclosures, they're so emotional. There, there's so much going on. They're so stressed out. It takes a few calls sometimes to kind of really show them that you care. You're there to help. You know, they can, they can rely on you. And once they trust you, once they like you, chances are they will sell to you. So with that being said, those are the strategies and the tactics that we're using and that we're preparing for. Um, like always, comment, let us know. Uh, join our text community, text YouTube to uh, 210-794-9898. It's completely free, and you can text us questions, concerns, anything at any time. Um, so with that, John, do you have any parting words? Nope, you got it. All right. So <laughs>
1: thank you. Made a few words. Thank
0: you all for watching. Thank you for being here with us live, participating. And uh, make sure to share and give us a thumbs up. And if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. Uh, we put a lot of training out and we show everything we have. I just did a whole playlist now recently on marketing for leads, strategies, lists to pull, where to pull them, you know, everything. So make sure to check every all our training out. And if you want any training, let me know what you want to learn about. And I'll make sure to put something together for that. So thank you all for watching. And I hope you have an amazing weekend.
1: Bye bye.